Well, good morning. Good morning. It's good to be here, isn't it? And um, as we, uh, we do come to God's Word, uh, we know that it's going to be very good this morning. Not because I'm saying it, but because it's God's Word. Um, and we're talking, we've been doing a number of subjects lately, instead of going through books, and that subject today is the ascension of Jesus. Something that's absolutely central to the Christian faith, but we don't often talk about it um, as, a, as a whole, so um, we're looking forward to this. But I'm going to pray first. Father, we do thank you for your word, and we thank you for the way that your spirit brings your word to life. And we pray that that's exactly what would happen today, that you would make your word lively to us, that we would experience it, that we would know the truth of it, and uh, that it would draw us into deeper maturity and faith in you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm reading from... Um, uh, I'm reading from Acts chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, and, he's, and, and Luke is writing this. And he says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote to you about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. That's talking about the book of Luke. And giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptised with water, but in a few days you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, and when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking up into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Okay, that's the ascension of Jesus Christ. He was taken up before them. And just so you know, I mean, I think you probably do, you know, Jesus lived, he had his ministry, he died on the cross to take away the sins of the world, he was raised from the dead, and then for about 40 days he appeared to the disciples and various people, up to 500 people at one time. And then this day he was taken up before them and he promised there that he would send the Holy Spirit upon them and that came in the next chapter of Acts. And what you see here is the story of God's salvation. Birth, life of Jesus, death of Jesus, resurrection of Jesus, ascension of Jesus, coming of the Holy Spirit. It's one package actually and you can't really take part of it out including the ascension. Now, before the cross, before going to the cross at the Last Supper, Jesus had said, 
Very truly, this is in Acts, sorry, this is in John 16, verse 7. Very truly I tell you, it's good that I'm going away. I'm telling you, I'm going away. It's good for you. Because we might ask, why did Jesus have to go away? Why did he have to ascend? It's good for you that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. The advocate being the Holy Spirit, or the counsellor, or the helper. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Okay, so I'm going to return to the Father, and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will be with all of you. Do you know that right now the Holy Spirit can be with us as a church and the church in Guatemala? Just the name one. There's other churches too. God send, uh, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to be with all of us and that he would convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. He will turn people's hearts. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. That's a great gift. And then he convinces us of righteousness through Christ. What a great gift. They go together, but they're both good. And of judgment, the judgment of evil in this world. We know that evil will be judged. Okay, the Holy Spirit, that's not what I'm talking about. The Holy Spirit does all this. Though. And he's saying, it's better I go because I'm going to pour the Holy Spirit out on you. And also, the, coming, uh, the ascension of Christ is part of God's, the Father's plan. And his plan's always the best. Okay, the Holy Spirit will empower you to be my witnesses throughout the whole world. And that's the plan of God. So, in simple terms, Jesus had to ascend. That was part of the plan. He was taken up and hidden by a cloud. Now, you might have a picture of someone sort of going up and getting very smaller and smaller, like an aeroplane up, and then there's a, there's a cirrus cloud or something up there, and it drifts in front of him, and then he's gone. That's not quite the picture it gives, you see. It's, it's actually... Um, you remember on the Transfiguration Day, a bright cloud come and enveloped them all on top of the mountain. And Jesus was taken up and then the cloud came and hid him from them. And he was taken uh, into the heavens, into the spiritual realm, into the heavenly realm. Okay, so he, he is taken into the heavenly realm, into the spiritual realm. When you know where the spiritual realm is, don't you? It's actually right here in a sense. Is, you know, we, we speak of angels. Would there be angels here today in the, in the spiritual realm? But here, just uh, uh, we, we don't see. I don't want to talk too much about that, but I've talked about that a lot before. But the startling thing about this is Jesus ascended into the spiritual realm with a body. Now, when I say a body, I mean you can see, you can clap your hands with yours, possibly. Um, some of you are not in time when you clap, but that's okay. But, uh, that's just, but we can touch each other. We, we can touch ourselves. We have bodies. After the resurrection, Jesus, raised from the dead, had a body. Okay? Uh, and, and it's worth... This is... Uh, at one point when Jesus appeared to the disciples in Luke 24, 37, it says, they were startled and frightened, thinking they'd saw a ghost, like a spirit. Like, you know, you can imagine if, if you had a ghost and the ghost stood before you, you could 
you could put your arm through them, couldn't you? They don't have a body. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones. Flesh and bones. As you see, I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they they still did not believe it because of the joy and amazement, like they were overawed, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. Now, why does it make the point? He ate it while they were watching. Because they were watching. Because, you know, ghosts don't eat food, do they? Yeah. He ate fish right there with them. Jesus had a real body. He was taken into the spiritual realm with a real body. And yet his body was perfect. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 describes it as a spiritual body. Now, a spiritual body has it's something different, and yet it is still a body because he ate fish with it. Do you understand? But he had a perfected body, and yet he still bore the scars of crucifixion. He said put to Thomas, he said, put your finger here or, or, or your hand in, the, in my side where the wound is. He, he still could be touched, and yet he was, there was something different. But even now, Jesus, in heaven, bears the scars of crucifixion. You know the Revelation's description of Jesus, don't you? He looks like a lamb who has been slain. He bears the scars of being slain, and yet he's not dead. He's alive. Do you understand that? Even in the heavenly realm, Jesus carries the scars of crucifixion. They are glorious scars. And Revelation 5 tells us that it, it is his crucifixion on our behalf that gives him the right to be king and lord of all, to rule over all of history. And right now, forgetting this, right now, Jesus, with his body, is in the heavenly realm and, and right now he's at the right hand of the Father. Now, the ascension is important and I'm going to give you three points today. And the first one is simply this. If he's in heaven with a body, that tells us a lot about our future. Right? Our future includes a body. Is there anyone here who longs to be a, a wafty spirit floating around in, in the clouds trying to play a harp, but you can't because your hands keep going through the strings? You try and eat food and it just drops straight through. Who wants to do that? Yay. No, that's not who we'll be. In heaven, as he has a body, so we will be raised like him. Isn't that good? All who put their trust in him, all who repent and believe, will be raised with a body like his. And we will touch and we will eat and we will enjoy fellowship with the risen Jesus in our bodies. Now this is amazing, isn't it? It's good. Did, did you like this? Yeah. It's grounded in history. We have a surety because Jesus, a real man who really lived, who really died, who truly was raised from the dead after three days, was taken into heaven with a body, and that means we are going to have the same. Immortal bodies. 
It, only difference for us, and the biggest difference, well, there can be a lot of differences. Our bodies won't decay, they won't get old, they won't get, uh, they won't die. That's good, isn't it? An immortal body, yeah, that'll go on forever. This means this. Do you know that God doesn't hate human flesh? You've got that weird, in the Christmas song, when Jesus becomes a baby, there's this weird line that says, Lo, he, God, abhorred, or lo, Jesus abhorred, that hated not the virgin's womb. If you put it in modern day English, Jesus, or God, didn't hate the virgin's womb. He loved human flesh. So much so he became flesh. Real man. That's good, isn't it? But there we will be without sin as he was without sin. And we long for that. I can't wait to not have sin because I know and I hate my sin. But there we will have no sin. Okay. I want you to see the importance of this. Our hope then is not in this life. We don't look to this life as we live now to be the all in all. We don't try to make heaven on earth because heaven is in the future. Do you get that? Because if as Christians we live only for earth now, well actually you end up in this place where Jesus says, well you get treasures on earth or you get treasures in heaven, but not both. So what are you, what are you, what are you aching for? In fact, Jesus said to us, we found that Bible study the other night um, in John 16, he's got a, the whole second half of the chapter is about, in this life, you will have troubles. Is that true? Is that your life? Yes, in this life you'll have trouble, all sorts. Right? So don't try and create heaven and earth and get rid of them because that's not going to happen. Otherwise, if you do, you'll start to worship or idolatrize this life. And then we won't long for the future. Now, the future of heaven, I, I, I want you to see in this, I'm looking forward to having a body. I'm looking forward to being without sin. But the future, the best part of it is we will be with God. We will be with Jesus face to face. That's what we long for. So, point one simply this. We have a hope for a future body, a future resurrection, a future perfected life with God in heaven, and that comes from the ascension. We have a secure future. We will have renewed bodies, and this promise is for all who put their trust in Jesus. And if I can add to that, this is really good. <coughs> point one's a good one. The other two are good points too. Okay, but point one's a good one. Point two, the ascension fulfilled the Old Testament ritual of fellowship with God. Now that sounds like a big sentence and it's going to take a little bit of explaining. But you know the Old Testament, God gave a gift to them, which was, he, well, firstly, he gave them the law. This is what I'm like, live like this. Now that sounds like a gift, except for one problem. No one obeys the law. So immediately that God gave them the law, he also gave them a system for the forgiveness of sins. Okay? Because they would break the law. And that, that system includes sacrifices in place 
of us, of particularly lambs and things like that. Okay, so what would happen is, well, firstly, I want you to see that from the New Testament point of view, everything in that Old Testament temple looked forward to Jesus. The sacrifice, Jesus was the perfect sacrifice, wasn't he? The, the, um, the curtain, his body was the curtain torn in two so that we could have access to God. Um, the, uh, what a, uh, the high priest, he was the perfect high priest. So everything of that temple or tabernacle, the, the meet place of meeting, looked forward to Jesus, the perfect place of meeting between God and man. And you see, what would happen is that the Old Testament priest would sacrifice a, a bull for his own sins because he, he had sins himself, unlike Jesus. And then he would take uh, sacrifice a lamb for the sins of, of the people. It's more complicated than this, but let's just keep it simple. Sacrifice, and he would take that lamb's blood into the holy place and uh, of the altar and sprinkle it, and that would show that the people's sins of Israel were forgiven. Now we know that looks to the cross, don't we? Where Jesus died for us. But then the, the priest would enter the most holy place on behalf of the people to pray. All the sins are forgiven. Only problem for the poor old people was not everybody could go in there, could they? Just the one high priest, just once a year. But he would pray. He would have fellowship with God, one for all of the people. Okay, He was a mediator between God and man. Now, that's all a bit complex, but see this. Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament sacrifice of the cross on our behalf. He fulfilled the temple ritual Perfectly, unlike the, the, the high priest who had to keep repeating his duties. And then he ascended into to the right hand of God, the most holy place, to pray on our behalf as the high priest, as the mediator between God and man. You see, he stands there right now, ascended, speaking to God on our behalf, or we are speaking through him. We would pray things like, in Jesus' name. The only way our prayers can ever be heard by God is in Jesus' name, not by saying that little bit at the end of a prayer. That doesn't make it all good. But if our prayers are out of lives lived in faith in Jesus Christ, then he hears our prayers and we have fellowship with God through him. So 1 Timothy 2.5 says, There is one God... And one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, who gave his life as a ransom. Okay, one way to talk to God, one way to fellowship with God, through a high priest. Those people in the Old Testament, the high priest went in on their behalf. We have someone who's gone to the most holy place, right face to face with God, Jesus Christ, on our behalf. Does that make sense? There's a fulfilment there. And we relate to God through Jesus and through Jesus alone, who is at the right hand of God. Now, Hebrews 4.14 says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, that's where our high priest is, in the holy place, Jesus, Son of God, 
Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus was tempted in every way, but he didn't sin. And then he died to take our sin and to give us his perfect righteousness. And therefore, this man with perfect righteousness and obedience stands at the right hand of God and he mediates on our behalf. So therefore, we can approach the throne of God with confidence. Right? I tell you, if you were to approach the holy presence of God, right, as we are, without Jesus, without a mediator, we would be burned up consumed in his anger against our sin. There is no hope. But we approach the throne of God because Jesus stands at his right hand interceding for us. And while he is there defending us, we are good with God. Can you understand that? There is no other way to approach God except through Jesus Christ. And Jesus has died for his sins so we can approach him what with confidence because of his grace. If you uh, think that you have to be a good person to approach God, you will never approach him with confidence because there is no way you will ever be good enough and your conscience will always condemn you. It is only through Jesus Christ that you can approach him. And when you approach him like through Christ, you are accepted and loved fully by God. Do you understand that? Paul, Paul talks about it in, 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 in this way and he gets to the bit about Jesus ascended in a minute. But we're going to start in Romans 8 verse 30. And he says, Now those who he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What this means is this. Predestined means God had a preset plan for some people and he to be saved. And those he predestined, he called. He called to himself. And the ones that he called, he justified. He made righteous. He perfected them. And those he perfected, he justified, he also glorified. And it's a glorious thing to be a child of God, isn't it? And to receive the righteousness of Christ. I... I don't know if you heard this and you should make you just smile quietly to yourself that I'm calling you glorious. If you believe in Christ, you are glorious people. You hear that? That's good news, isn't it? Yep. Say that when you look in the mirror tomorrow morning. Hello, glorious child of God. Okay. He has done all this and can you see the confidence we have because it's all him. Who predestined us? He did. Who called us? He did. Who justified us? He did. Who glorifies us? He does. Isn't that good? What shall we say to this, Paul says? What shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God's done all this, right, who can be against us? What can upset our salvation? Really? What can upset it if God's done all that? I mean, some days we might doubt that we're glorious. Some days we might doubt we're justified. Some days we might not be sure if we're even called. But let's face it, if God's predestined you, what hope have you got? (laughs) 
if it's meant like, you know, just been in his plan since before the beginning of time that you'd be saved, get out of it. <laughs> you can't. I'm telling you, this is good news. What shall we say in response to this? If God's for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for all, for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? If he, did, if he even gave up his own son for you, you know that he's going to give you everything he promised. Yeah? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? If God has chosen you and he's justified you, just to bring that down a little bit, if he's chosen you and he's justified you, who can bring a charge against you? Who can say, Jack, have a look at your sin? Because Jack doesn't have any sin because he's been justified by Jesus Christ, all this sin was taken on the cross. Is there anybody who can bring a charge against Jack? No. It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? He answers this question. What does he say? Who is then is the one who condemned? No one. No one can. Not even the devil. He wants to bring your sin before you, but he will never bring you the cross of Christ where your sin was fully forgiven. Jesus Christ, the one person who could, in a sense, bring a charge against us. Do you remember the story of the, the woman caught in adultery? And Jesus says, he is without sin, throw the first stone. But there was someone there who could throw the first stone that day. Do you know who that was? Jesus. And he said, where are your condemners? When they all took off because they, they knew they were done, done over. Where's your condemners? And then he says, neither do I condemn you. Who, who is he who condemns? Jesus Christ who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Mediating. High priesting at the right hand of God on our behalf. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? What's the answer to that one? Nothing. No one. Nothing. And then he lists a whole heap of things just to prove that nothing can. And what is Jesus speaking to the Father on our behalf? He's saying, Jellera, my Father, my predestined one, my called one, my justified one, my glorious one. Again and again. I don't, why does he have to say it again and again? Does God the Father have a bad memory? Why does he have to constantly do that? What, 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 what's the point? Is, is that for God? It, you know, if he's been predestined, I don't see how. It's like this, right? In Noah's time, after they, they got off the ark, yeah, God gave a sign, a rainbow in the sky. Yep, And God said, whenever I see that rainbow, I will remember my promise never to wipe out the people of earth again. Is that good? God had a bad memory. And is, it, is it that the rainbow's got nothing to do with us? It's just God. He's seeing it and going, oh, that's right, yeah. Whew. Won't destroy all the people again. No, <laughs> no, no. You see, what, what God's saying is, I'm giving you a promise so that you know that when I see it, I will never destroy you, so that you know that I will never destroy you. The promise is for you, and you need to know that I will remember it when I see it. Do you get what I'm saying? That promise of the rainbow is for us, because we know that God sees it and he will remember. Well, why does Jesus um, keep interceding for us on our behalf? 
so that we remember something absolutely wonderful. We are acceptable, we are loved, we are perfected before God and he accepts us and he says, I want you to know this, my people, how loved you are. So that's point two. Jesus ascended to the Father's right hand to be the priest. That's promised in the Old Testament that we would be fully accepted, that he mediates for us and that we could give, have this great security because he is praying for us on the basis of his cross and resurrection and all that he's done. I'll say it once more. It's all that he's done. That's what makes you a Christian. That's why we can have security. If it's in what you do, you'll never have real security. And point three, what's the ascended Jesus doing now? It's got three parts to it, but it's just so that I can keep the sermon going for another while. Jesus is ruling over everything. He's king of kings and lord of lords. When he, when he was, uh, it says in um, Matthew 28, when he was taken up the hill uh, with, the, with the people after being raised from the dead and they worshipped him, but some were still doubting and Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and earth is being given to me. I don't know if you heard that all with at the start. Who has all authority in this world? Jesus. Where? In heaven and on earth. That's basically everywhere. Jesus has all authority. And then he tells them to go on a mission, but I'm going to be with you forever, to the end of the age, right? So that's even good. The one who has all authority is with us. And the one who has all authority is the one defending us. The one is Jesus, is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And he is sovereign over everything. Right now. Right now, over this world, he is ruling. He's in control. We're not in control. He's in control. We, um, we tend to be control freaks. Is that true? We're not in control. We're just not. And at, at times that, that, that uh, is actually very hard because... Um, we don't understand uh, God's ways, but we know this. He is ruling, and he knows best. He is in control. So if our tendency is to be control freaks, what must we learn to do as Christians with the help of the Holy Spirit? Um, to live by faith. To live trusting him. Because what Paul says in the Old Testament says, the righteous shall live by faith. That's how we live. Uh, that's not easy. But we will live by faith. Because the ascended Jesus is at the right hand of God, ruling over all things. That's point A of his ruler of all. Point B He's ruling over the church. Jesus is described as the head of the church, the, the head of his body. Can I say this again? The church is no failure. I can find lots of problems with the church, can't, can't you find problems with the church? The church is no failure unless, unless the head's a failure. Are you saying Jesus is a failure? Are you saying the church is all mixed up? Throughout history... Jesus is, is lording the church, look, ruling over the church, 
and he's doing it in such a way that it's best for his saints. It may look messy to us, but it's not messy to him who is working in, in, in the individual lives of lots and lots of people together and bringing them and sanctifying them and blessing them and maturing them and teaching them the faith in all different ways. But he's Lord of the church, and the church is very good. If we're always bagging the church, in one sense we're picking a fight with Jesus, hey? The Lord of the church. He rules rightly, and that is very good. That's point B of his ruling over all. Point C, in ruling over all things, we're told in 1 Corinthians 15 that he's putting all of his enemies under his feet. He's, he is bringing down his enemies. He's bringing down the sinful nature of man through the cross, of course, and he's subduing it. He is putting, bringing down, putting under his feet the world which is opposed to him. We might not think he's doing it the right way, but he knows what he's doing. And he's putting the world under his feet. He's putting Satan under his feet. Now, he said just before going to the cross in, in John 12, now the prince of this world will be driven out. His power will be defeated. Or the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And he did just that. And the last enemy, we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, that will be put under his feet is death. And when that last enemy is put under his feet, there will be no more death. And we look forward to that day, don't we? He's ruling over the church. He's ruling over everything first. And he's putting his enemies under his feet. The the ascended Jesus is victorious. And everything about the ascension, about the fact that Jesus stands there at the right hand of the Father gives us incredible security and hope because while ever he is standing there for us, we are safe. Can you see that? Because he has died for us and done everything for our salvation and he stands there at the Father's side, we are safe. All of our security relies on his ascension. Can you get that? And that's where he is. In, in one sense, years ago, it used to annoy me that I couldn't show people Jesus. You know, he's raised from the dead. Why is he hidden? Well, it's better that he's there. It's better that I go away and give you the spirit and there I can defend you. So he's made a way for us to get to heaven with a body. That was point one. And to be with God forever. He's interceding on our behalf before the Father on the basis of his cross. And he is ruling over everything. That's the ascended Christ. That's our Lord. I'm going to pray. Father, we want to thank you that you have uh, remembered us and that you have remembered us, that you would give us the assurance that comes through knowing Jesus. We thank you that you remind yourself, but you really remind us of all that you've done that we might live in the joy of salvation, that we might live by faith, that we might live in the gift it is to know that all of our sins are forgiven, that we are fully accepted by you and that we are loved and safe with you. We thank you. And we thank you that we have a Lord, a King and a Saviour who stands at your right hand now, interceding on our behalf. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.